career has always been the underdog. And I think rooting for the underdog success is good for everyone because that means that everyone has the ability to get on the world stage and present what they do, you know, and be recognized for it. Whether you're Korean, whether you're from Africa, it doesn't matter where you are. If, if Koreans can do it, then that means that anyone can, as long as you're creating really quality, quality stuff and getting it out there. It means that the world embraces the diversity of good content, of good art, of you know it's it's basically it means that the world is becoming much more um international and global in, in terms of uh, the embracing and the understanding and the tolerance of diversity and I, I think that's a beautiful thing welcome to the nft now podcast your go-to source to succeed in the fast-moving world of web3 i'm matt medved each week we interview visionary creators builders and collectors so you can stay up to date on the most important trends and tactics for the internet's next frontier. GM, GM, and welcome back to the NFT Now podcast. I'm Matt Medved, and today we have a very special guest for what is a very special episode for us. Krista Kim is a Korean-Canadian artist who has been active at the forefront of Web3, wellness, and digital consciousness for more than a decade. Krista is the creator of the Techism Movement and a cultural leader for the World Economic Forum, who has collaborated with the likes of Louis Vuitton and Lamborghini, and whose work has been shown widely from Times Square to the Venice Biennale. As mentioned, this is an incredibly meaningful episode of the NFT Now podcast because it is the first one to live on the Ethereum blockchain. During our keynote fireside chat with Krista at the Gateway Korea just hours ago, we announced that we are tokenizing this podcast episode and airdropping it to all now pass holders. Our first piece of tokenized media not only commemorates the Gateway's global expansion into the Asian region, but it will also unlock rewards when the Now Network's member portal launches later this year. This is just the beginning in our journey to build the future of tokenized media, and we could not be more grateful to have you along for the ride. Without any further ado, Krista Kim. Krista Kim making her second appearance on the NFT Now podcast, putting you in rarefied air, coming in live from Seoul. How are you? I'm so well. Thank you so much. Good morning. Good morning in Korea. <laughs> Good morning in Korea. It's great to be here. Um, we... You know, we've got a, a lot going on. Uh, Korea Blockchain Week, the Gateway Korea. It's also Free Seoul. It's Seoul Fashion Week. Uh, what are you excited about uh, coming up this week? Well, there are two major things, of course, that I'm excited about. The Gateway. It's going to be such an epic show. And for meeting, I mean, it was so amazing to see you and Alejandro and Andre last yesterday. And, uh, you know, when I saw the plans, I was just blown away. And I cannot wait to see the opening. It's going to be epic. Congratulations on that achievement. And your first international foray, foray and it's only going to be the beginning. And I, I can't wait for more. Um, so that I'm very excited about. And also uh, for the DDP, there's a project called um, Lux Poetic uh, Resolution that's curated by Ji and Lee of Zoom Projects. So I basically am a part of an incredible uh, lineup of, you know, the most talented artists are so great as well. So I'm, I'm basically very, very lucky and grateful to be part of two incredible curated uh, events. 
And uh, I'm I'm very blessed and I'm very happy to be back in Seoul. It's been uh, a minute. It's been like a decade since I've been back here. That's amazing. Um, well, there's a lot to dive into there. Let's start with the Gateway Korea. We're so excited to showcase your work again. Um, tell us a little bit, a bit about what you're showing. The piece that I'm very happy to exhibit uh, at the Gateway is called Resonance. And Resonance is a series of, uh, well, the, the rough diamond uh, that is uh, basically placed in front of my gradients. And it's a meditative piece. So it's part of my meditative series. It's another series after Mirror of the Mind. And I like to basically have us experience the diamond. It's a rough diamond. So it's much like a human being because we're all diamonds in the rough. And diamonds are more beautiful under pressure and under all of the crazy challenges that we experience in our lives. We are actually becoming better people, more beautiful people inside those challenges. I love that. And that's beautiful. And I, and I have been fortunate enough to see the piece have being the curator of the Gateway Korea. And it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's stunning. It really sets an amazing tone. And we're going to be uh, displaying it uh, quite prominently. So thank you so much. I'm, I'm very honored to be part of this group. So it's going to be an incredible show and a, and a really strong and bold statement. Because you know, the Gateway is the, you know, the top uh, digital art presentation of uh, Seoul Art Week. Uh, one of the top. So I'm very, very happy to to be part of it. Um, these are This is an incredible beginning for you guys, and I'm very excited for you as well. Thank you, Krista. And, you know, you you actually can speak on this with, with some authority because you have been showcased at all three gateways now, dating back to Miami 2021 during, during Basel, last year at the, the, the gateway of Web3 Metropolis, uh, where we took over downtown Miami, and now in Gateway Korea. I'd love to just hear a little bit about your experiences with, with the gateway and, um, yeah, just like what, what why that is special to you. Well, you know, the I think that when you really analyze, you know, what we have been through, we've been through a lot, haven't we, Matt? I mean, let's just talk about the community in general. We went through the hype phase. So it was a hype phase where we had the first Miami uh, Gateway Project, and that was, you know, incredibly exciting. It was the first um, that in history in Miami Basel. And I think that that showcased, you know, the, the new movement, the new power of blockchain, um, you know, to change uh, the ecosystem of, of uh, creators and this new technology, just really introducing the world to what we stand for, what we're all about, that solidarity was so important. And you really, you really did bring the whole community together. You were the only Web3, uh, you know, event to, of note of that time. So it's a very historic event as well. And then when you fast forward to now, you know, right now is the bear market. We've gone through a lot of, uh, I think, collective trauma. <laughs> and I think that right now what we're doing is we're still showing that that solidarity um, and that, you know, hanging on to the message and hanging on to the true, um, you know, ethos of what we stand for. And uh, but in a more sophisticated level, it, it truly is the show that you're showing now at Seoul in comparison to the very first one. I mean, just, a, you know, just the, the level of the presentation, um, you know, how it's curated, how it's placed how it's presented and the partnerships that you have brought on board uh, since the first show. Um, it basically shows that we're here and we're not going anywhere. And this is really just the beginning of the movement and of, you know, art on the blockchain um, to speak of. So this is, this is truly, uh, you know, a, a bold statement that we are here and we're here to stay. 
and there's a future ahead of us. I love that. I love that. Beautiful words and a beautiful sentiment and something that uh, very much in keeping with what we're trying to achieve um, by building this here. And, you know, I think one of the things that's so exciting about the gateways, we've always seen the gateway as like this glimpse into this future where digital and physical coexist in creative harmony, um, where we can get past all the like the hangups and the uh, and and like the misunderstandings and and really focus on on what matters, which is which is the art and uh, and, and bringing people together. And so. Um, you know, one thing that was really important for us to entering a new market like Korea um, was ensuring that we also showcase Korean artists and and really put that culture front and center. And so, um, you know, it it's it's a pleasure to have you. And I'd love to hear a bit, too, about how your own Korean-American heritage has influenced your art. Well, I feel like I'm a global Korean because everyone thinks that I'm 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 also American. I'm actually Canadian, living in America, very happy and happy to to be in in LA. Um, I recently relocated there from Toronto, like last year, and I've lived around the world. I've lived in five different countries, including Korea, Japan, Singapore, and I spent a lot of time in New York as well, and Toronto, of course. So, you know, from from my perspective, uh, you know, I I have seen since the '80s how Korean culture has really become, was obscure at one point to this incredible global powerhouse of cultural content and, and how Korean film and how Korean pop culture, music has really taken center stage and really created an incredible following globally. And, and as really showing that it doesn't matter what uh, language barriers we have, that the power of art can bring us together. And, you know, I, I'm so amazed by this incredible rise of the popularity of Korean culture and pop culture in particular around the world. So my coming back to Korea after a decade, um, it's it's basically a wonderful sort of, uh, you know, it's it's a, it's a homecoming, I think, it, it, in many ways, because when I first lived here, it was like right after university and I was working as a journalist at the Korea Health newspaper for the culture section. I was writing about other movie stars and, and artists and, and really, really like loving their stories and living vicariously through them because I always wanted to be an artist. So I was really sort of like hiding behind that role, wearing that mask. But now coming back as the artist, I'm meeting with my editor, Haran Kim, uh, actually uh, for, for lunch tomorrow. And I remember she sent me an email telling me, you know, Krista, um, I could see that you're doing what you really love to do, what you're meant to do, and I'm really happy for you. And that was really a beautiful thing. I heard, I heard from her a couple of years ago, and now that we're seeing each other, it's it's wonderful to see that trajectory of my life as well, and how that also sort of like mirrors what Korea has gone through as well, and it, through through finding itself and really identifying, finding its voice, and and clearly and proudly expressing that. So it's. It's wonderful and it's it's a wonderful reception as well. I'm I'm very honored to be here and it's um it's nice to be back and to be recognized for what you're passionate about doing. Absolutely. It's a real full, full circle moment. And um, I can empathize, Krista, you know, because I, as, I, as we've talked about, you know, I taught English in South Korea for a year, uh, right outside Seoul, Gimpo, um, you know, right after my undergraduate. And um, when I was coming out to Seoul earlier this year to scout venues for the Gateway Korea, that was my first time back in 14 years. And it was 
amazing to see just how far everything has come and how much soul has changed um, in that time. And I, I'd love to hear that through your eyes. Like, like what, it, like what have, what have been the biggest things you've noticed, like in terms of the development of, uh, of soul and, and Korea at large? Well, here's the thing. What I really love about Seoul is how much they have embraced a more cosmopolitan uh, mindset, uh, much more open, less provincial, because they were, you know, Korean culture was very provincial in the 80s. And now since then, it has become a global, a global culture and really embracing global influences as well. And you see many more people from around the world here as well. Um, so I think that having an open-minded uh, sort of like culture that's open to the world is, that's something that I really appreciate because when I was visiting uh, throughout my childhood, I always felt like, um, you know, I, I never felt like I fit in. And I, you know, I'm, that's just me. I'm an outlier. I'm an artist outlier. I'll always be one. But what I, what I was able to observe in Korean culture was Korea can really do very, uh, very well if it would just integrate into the global community, you know, just be more international, more cosmopolitan. And then, of course, I love us also the level of the art appreciation here. The fact that uh, you have the gateway, the fact that you have free soul, the fact that you have all these international artists being appreciated, being featured here it really shows that not only are you exporting incredible culture that's really world-class, you're also inviting it in. And that exchange, I think, for any global city is essential for, you know, that sort of cultural viability of the city and the mindset of the people, because what they're exposed to, they will normalize. And I think that the more high-level art, the more international events like the gateway that we have, in the in Korea ongoing, it's only going to help uh, Koreans uh, in general just understand what's going on and have their finger on the pulse, which is probably the most important thing you want now. These you want that sense of being in the now, right? Like <laughs> like now media, you just have to know what's going on and and have a feeling of that and and have that also happening in your city. So that's. That's impressive. Absolutely. And, you know, one thing I recall really well from my time in Korea was seeing how Korean culture is really embraced by the Asian region at large, you know, whether it's the music, whether it's the dramas and all that. And what I think is really interesting is we are seeing and experiencing sort of an unprecedented moment of global cultural crossover for Korean culture. You have Blackpink headlining Coachella this year, Squid Games number one on Netflix, you know, um, Hive acquiring Scooter Braun's company, like uh, BTS, one of the biggest bands in the world, like Parasite winning the Oscar for Best Picture, like all of these big milestones that honestly would have been kind of unthinkable a decade ago. Um, I'm curious, like from your perspective, like why do you think Korea, Korean culture is enjoying this, uh, this moment in the global spotlight? Korea's always been the underdog. You know, Korea, Korea is the underdog. And I think rooting for the underdog success is good for everyone because that means that um, everyone has the ability to get on the world stage and present what they do uh, and be, you know, and be recognized for it. Whether you're Korean, whether you're from Africa, it doesn't matter where you are. If, if Koreans can do it, then that means that anyone can, as long as you're creating really quality, quality stuff and getting it out there. It means that the world embraces the diversity of good content, of good art, 
of, you know, it's, it's basically, it means that the world is becoming much more um, international and global in, in terms of uh, the embracing and the understanding and the tolerance of, and the embracing and the love of, you know, diversity. And I, I think that's a beautiful thing. And it's, it, for me, it was very fascinating to see that. And I, I'm very, um, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of, of what how Korea has achieved. But, you know, let me tell you, I mean, the government was very, very intentional in investing a, a large uh, portion of grants to the programming and supporting Korean arts and culture as an ecosystem for export. For, you know, that's, that's how they, you know, that's how the jargon, exporting self-culture, right? And that's, that's uh, you know, so that means that a lot of countries, a, a lot of other smaller countries um, can actually learn from this, that you should really support the arts of your, of your, you know, your culture and uh, make sure that it's produced at a high level and give it that visibility that it needs to succeed. And um, yeah, I think that it's, it's an exciting thing. And I think that Korea is doing a better job at that than Canada, because I did live in Canada for about seven years since moving um, back from Asia, from Singapore in Toronto from between 2015 and 2022. And you know, I saw, I see a huge contrast in, you know, just how dynamic and how optimistic and really, you know, gung-ho um, uh, Koreans are in, in supporting their arts and culture. Like, actually, it's much more um, uh, based on the American style of, of uh, supporting the arts than, uh, than you know, and I, I just think that that would be really beneficial for any country like Canada. And I, I'm just observing. I love that observation. Um, you know, Korea has also long been a big player in the crypto space. You know, a lot of market makers out here, a lot of, I remember when I was like first, when I was like trading crypto back in 2017, 2018, it would be like, oh, like when's Korea going to wake up, right? The kimchi premium with Bitcoin, like all of that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, like, you know, it, it feels like Korea is poised to pl is poised to play a big role in the next cycle when we speak about like Web three and the intersection of like crypto and culture. And I'm curious, like, what's your perspective there? Hundred uh, percent. Koreans are really at the forefront of metaverse, crypto, and AI, and those are the three emerging technologies that are really going to be the conversion that changes the world. Uh, I'm already. I have my startup Zero Studio. We are collaborating with uh, an AI company. We partnered with called Cleon. And they create the best AI avatars uh, that are real-time, sort of photorealistic, uh, you know, video avatars uh, that supports conversational AI. So we're we're basically, you know, <laughs> basically uh, collaborating with Korean companies only because they have the tech, the best tech stack. And uh, you know, the, these companies are collaborating with, uh, you know, are invested in uh, by Samsung, partnering with Nvidia. Like it's, it's really, you know, real, real sort of industry play. So I think, I think basically Koreans are really good at, um, you know, the engineering and computer engineering is very, very strong here. And um, the, the people who are leading these startups are very young and they're very, they're super, super smart. And uh, they are, how would you say they're, they're basically um, pointed out right at each of the, the top schools supported and you know the startup ecosystem is is great 
because it really does support their talent and uh, supports them financially as well. So I, you know, Cleon is a great example, and I'm very, very, um, uh, you know, excited and impressed by by how how global their mindset is, and what, you know, I think that um, going forward we're going to see a lot a lot of like metaverse sort of live concert because I mean K-pop is such a big thing and they are throwing concerts all the time. So you you're talking about world experts on metaverse and social engagement through the internet. You have Zepedo, the top metaverse in the world uh that is a, you know has like millions of people using it per month. So you you basically have already a window into the future because they're so experimental and they're not afraid to experiment and really jump into new ideas and you know, and really engage these new concepts, these new use cases. So um, yes, Zepetto, Cleon, um, and there are AI companies all over uh, in Korea as well. So that's, it's really a very strong ecosystem that uh, you'll see more global players going forward, supported by companies like Samsung, LG, et cetera, et cetera. I love that. I love that. We often think about like Korea as almost like the gateway to like the APAC region at large. And and I think about about like just everything you spoke of, you know, the rise of metaverse adoption, the development of this technology, um, this rapidly growing global culture. I'm curious, like, you know, even zooming out from just Korea, like how are you thinking about like the Asian region in terms of the future of this technology and also any like interesting trends you're seeing um, across the across the region? Well, I, I kind of feel like um, the metaverse is probably uh, a much more comfortable concept for Asians because gaming is so pervasive in the culture, especially with uh, the millennial uh, Gen Z and of course Gen Alpha. Like it's, it's a lifestyle thing, right? So I think that the adoption is probably a lot faster here uh, in comparison to, you know, the United States, for example. I just feel like if you if you really want to try new concepts here, a lot of them have, have been done here. You see a lot of like use cases, like, like I said, metaverse concerts and social engagement at the same time and, and creating, you know, those um, fan, it's called fandom, but creating fans, uh, social engagement is called fandom here, but bringing that into the metaverse and then play, putting it on blockchain and, uh, you know, selling assets and all of these concepts are not new. These are actually experimental here and have been done here for a long time already. So I just feel like Asia is going to be a major place where you're going to see things happen before they are adopted around the world. And it's always been like that, you know, whether it's beauty or technology these are the industries where, you know, um, Asia usually is ahead, especially in particularly Korea. So it's, uh, it's going to be interesting. Uh, I think that um, Korea as well, becoming more adept at English is, uh, is, is basically one of the key things that um, is improving big time. You see a lot of uh, people who are at the C-level C of corporations here and startups who actually are proficient in English, which is the most it's really important because your incredible ideas and innovations, uh, if you can communicate it to the world through English, then that's that's pretty much going to be a much more you know strong position for you. So I, I think that um, it's much more international uh, than ten years ago even. So I, I love um, I love the rapid progression that's happening here. It's it's really fascinating to see that. 
I think you make a, an excellent point uh, on on gaming, especially, um, you know, even just from anecdotally from my experience, you know, I remember arriving in Korea in 2008, turning on the television and seeing StarCraft on TV. This was like Twitch before there was Twitch, you know, like they were so ahead of the curve. And I remember even like when I was teaching my middle school English uh, classes, when we did our, our careers lesson. Um, you know, I was like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I thought everyone was saying programmer. And it turns out they were like, no, teacher, pro gamer. You Whoa. Know? That was, yeah, that mm. was 2008, 2009. And you look at like, well, talk about like skating to where the puck is going. So I'll give you another example about a really innovative TV. You were talking about gaming on TV. Well, what about AI on TV? So basically what Cleon's working on right now is they've created an avatar of a game show host that's an AI conversational model, avatar. And it's going to lead gaming like it's a game show, but the AI is leading the actual show. It's going to be on TV on NBC. That's a first Amazing. in history. So we're, we're going to see all these use cases. I'm going to let you know. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll give you all the TV details the so people That's can right. check it we out. But alpha. I'm like, you're right. So, hey, guys, like this is coming next year. Like all of these all of these shows are going to have AI integration as well. And, uh, you know, that's. We have to be ready for that. And now let's get into sovereignty because, you know, AI sovereignty is so important. Now that we're really engaging in a world where, you know, our likeness and everything is going to be sort of hijacked through AI, like it's going to happen, right? Whether we like it or not, um, we need to basically protect our sovereignty and our digital identity. And so what I have always been a, uh, an advocate of is the digital identity sovereignty in the blockchain. And that's why I was uh, drawn to the community is because, you know, 2018, I read uh, uh, Shoshana uh, Zuboff's book, uh, you know, The Rise of um, Surveillance Capitalism. And I was so compelled to do something about it because it was a, a major uh, infraction on human rights and, and freedoms that these, you know, tech companies, Web2 companies were taking our data, which is power. Data is power, right? So... Uh, using blockchain as a way to, um, you know, secure our identity in the blockchain and, of course, have AI agents that protects our identity as well um, against AI, against uh, insurgent AI is going to be the future. So there is a company that um, that uh, that I'm, I'm I'm working with called Tenbeo, T-N-B-O, um, we're basically uh, really involved in creating the next sort of um, identity in the blockchain. I support their technology. It's a heartbeat algorithm and everyone in the world has a unique heartbeat algorithm. And this, this algorithm can be stored in the blockchain as your ID. And so as long as you're alive and have a heartbeat, uh, you can open the keys to open the doors to your house. You can, uh, you know, unlock your wallet to your assets. Um, it is it is a wallet. It is a vault of all of your assets. And you can think about all the digital assets that we'll have going forward uh, in, in this digital future. And it's it's something that we can also authenticate our own unique IP and authenticate what is real. So if there is a depiction of me on in the media, you know, post AI, we're always going to assume that what we see is fake before it's verified. And so we need to use these you know, this kind of technology, it's verification with uh, biometrics um, to to really determine what is real versus what is fake. And that's without that, there's chaos. 
I love that. I love that. And as you know, Krista, that, that uh, really comports with, with everything we're building at, uh, at NFT Now and Now Media with, uh, you know, looking at how do we, um, in building the future of tokenized media, have verifiable authenticity and ensure that we know what is the truth, um, because we know the, the powers and the dangers of AI disinformation. And, you know, one thing we often say is like, AI is never going to be less sophisticated than it is right now, right? It's only going to get more hyper-realistic. It's only going to get more difficult to discern uh, between uh, AI and reality. We're going to need to have a way um, to, to differentiate um, between what is true and what is not. And I love that we're tackling it from two different angles here with like journalism and publishing here and with identity on your side. I mean, it, it all, it all, it, you know, this, this is all something that needs to be done in the, in the community. And I think, you know, especially during this period of, of Web3, where everyone is sort of building now, right? I think that creating these solutions are so essential because that's basically going to determine the future viability of Web3, whether or not we can provide real solutions to super, super problems. And AI is a threat only if we're, if we're not able to, to control our own identity and our sovereignty and, and knowing what is truth versus what is fake. So that's, that's wonderful. I, you know, I think that's brilliant that, uh, you, you know, now media is working on this. It's, it's so essential. It keeps me up at night sometimes. Same, same. And then, you know, on the, on the positive side, you know, obviously as a creator yourself, I'm curious, just like, how is AI inspiring you? How are you using AI tools to like advance and augment your own art form? Wow. So I basically have already been using AI. I'm, I'm presenting a new continuum project here uh, called Continuum Soul. And um, when I'm creating a new continuum piece, I'm actually creating these algorithmic paintings that I create through the images of light. And I, you know, I, I basically manipulate them through Adobe software. I create uh, a composition and I create a series of them, which then um, is animated into the continuum video. So it's like a series of uh, individual artworks that, that blend in into each other, that are animated into one another. And that's how continuum is created. So I actually started experimenting with creating my algorithmic paintings with AI. And surprisingly, I was able to create some incredible new pieces that, I mean, it, it was just amazing. It really, um, I loved it. It was so much fun. Um, and I think that, you know, finding a way to engage with AI as a tool um, to really, you know, increase your productivity or um, enhance what you already do or what, what your practice is. I think every artist should be on top of that and um, should be using it to their advantage. So I'm very happy to present the first uh, AI uh, sort of soul continuum, soul presentation of continuum. And it's, I'm going to keep working on those, uh, you know, integrating AI. AI does not um, animate continuum like the way that, I mean, it's not there yet. The technology, you can't, um, you can't really pinpoint what you want exactly with the AI yet. I'm sure that within a couple of years, that capability will be there to truly control, micro control, a, you know, a, an animated sequence. But right now that capability is not there. So um, the animation part is still by hand on software. There are limitations. But beside, besides that, this is a great question because I really want to touch on this. When I was at, um, I, I spoke at TED um, five months ago in Vancouver, and um, I was invited to speak uh, on Web3 with uh, Yatsu and Kevin Awoki. Um, 
what really struck me at, from being at TED, my takeaway was that the number one thing was fear of AI. And a lot of those talks were talking about the threat of AI war, uh, you know, how AI deepfakes and, you know, identity, uh, insurgency of our identity. Um, and, you know, there, there are a lot of like doom and gloom uh, scenarios that were presented. Of course, these are very valid threats. But I, you know what was really interesting to me? The fact that blockchain and Web3 had a very minute uh, presence at TED. And TED is where you can really get a litmus test of where, where, um, you know, where the collective is really paying attention, right? Like the mainstream. And it really was the mainstream. Correct, it's the mainstream. So the mainstream, what does the mainstream really care about and what are they focusing on? And what really struck me was that people did not understand blockchain and they did not understand decentralization. They saw, they basically clumped, um, you know, NFTs with blockchain, but I'm talking about PFPs. Okay. So people actually think that blockchain are board apes. Now, as much as I respect, you know, Yuga Labs and, and P, you know, I, I'm not a fan of like all of PFPs, frankly. Um, there are only like two projects that I actually respect or three, but uh, the other, I, I just don't think that it's viable. But I think that in general, this whole marketing crisis we have of Web3 and NFTs and blockchain, that all has to be, people have to be educated on what blockchain is and what the true benefit as a technology it can deliver as a, as a problem solver to many problems in the world, including this you know, sovereignty, establishing sovereignty in the blockchain against the threat of AI. So people are very much siloed in their specific expertise, whether you are in Web3, whether you are in AI, or whether you are in, you know, metaverse. The future is the convergence. And I saw how people were not thinking in an integrative fashion. They were thinking, oh, here's the AI problem, and we're not looking outside of AI for the solution, we're just going to talk about the problem. Uh, this is now going to start to change. People are going to understand the integrations and the convergence of AI, blockchain, and metaverse as the emerging technologies that are converging and changing our world. And that's what I spoke about at TED. Um, so now I'm thinking, okay, long term, what do we need to do right now to dispel the fear? Because what we need is for people to support blockchain and to make blockchain useful in their lives. Right now, I think that since we have uh, you know, a, a crazy mental health crisis around the world, we should start using these emerging technologies to help mitigate that crisis. So I'm actually um, creating a project with Deepak Chopra, and uh, this project is to create his AI conversational hyper-real avatar with Cleon. So we're we're going to create his avatar, conversational model. He's written like 90 books. There's a lot of content there. And there are so many icons in the world that can, that can help people. So you can basically talk to Deepak and get advice from him. You know, it's not even about just, you know, these esoteric concepts or concepts of spirituality. I just had an argument with my sister. Uh, what advice do you have? You know, he has a wealth of knowledge. And he can basically, you know, just, you know, um, uh, distill all of this information to the world through the AI avatar in a meaningful way with guardrails. 
and you know information that is basically specific to Deepak and his body of work. And I think that technology should be used for these purposes because mostly when people have a, a problem or they're stressed, they just need to talk about it. They just need to talk about it. They just get it off their chest and get some really valuable golden nuggets of wisdom. And I think that can help people along the way instead of having a compounded problem where they're stressed and stressed and stressed and it reaches a crisis point, which is what's happening. I love that. And I know that you're going to be speaking at Davos, right? The World Economic Forum. Um, tell us a little bit about that. And I think it's really important to have a voice like yours at the, for- at the front lines there. Thank you so much. I, so uh, Joseph Fowler, who is the head of uh, arts and culture at um, the World Economic Forum, he reached out to me um, about six months ago. And I was really honored because he invited me to be um, a cultural leader uh, for the World Economic Forum, ha- Forum having seen my uh, body of work and uh, wanted to feature it, uh, continuum in particular, at the Davos in Tianjin, China. It's called Summer Davos. And he invited me to speak as well about healing in the digital realm. And I went, I, I went over, that was in June, and it was such an incredible experience. I uh, went to China for the first time since COVID and went to Beijing for the first time. Uh, Tianjin is three hours out, uh, away from, from Beijing. I was able to go to Beijing and see the Great Wall of China. What I saw, like the whole like Davos experience for me was, I didn't know what to expect because I really thought, you know, having been to TED, I thought, oh, it's gonna it's gonna be very much a VC heavy, startup heavy, like it's a very sort of like, let's pitch our new, you know, you know, that kind of like atmosphere. But it's not. It really is a a very diverse uh you know a gathering of experts in all fields uh you have ac- academia artists business people and also government leaders spiritual leaders as well so i love the diversity i i met uh, a zen monk from kyoto <laughs> incredible i mean all kinds of incredible people from all walks of life um contributing to making the world a better place so for me um being a cultural uh, leader at Davos, I think that my uh, my whole agenda will be to basically teach and educate people about how um, the emerging technology through the power of art can actually facilitate healing and well-being. And Deepak Chopra and I are going to be presenting at Davos in Switzerland in January. We're going to be presenting his avatar as the first use case for well-being for AI technology, which then we will bring into the metaverse and uh, I mean, scalability is the issue, right? We want to make sure we reach as many people as possible. The idea is to reach millions of people, if not billions. That's who smartphones. Everyone has this device in their hand. So why not have, have it accessible on the smartphones? But going forward, be mindful that 3D spatial computing or metaverse is truly a technology of the future that's going to be, you know, widely, widely adapted. And I think that um, that's, that's something we definitely want to do. So not only Deepak, we, we want to collaborate with many experts and help them get their, you know, get their message out there, scalable through their AI avatar. 
I love that. I love that. And, you know, I know you've been such a champion for mindfulness and wellness in like the digital realm. Um, I think it's something that is incredibly needed in the space. You know, I've spoken a lot about how I feel like the mental, uh, the Web3 space is, is heading for a mental health crisis if we're not already deeply, deeply uh, within one, um, just because of the unique nature of it. I'm, I'm curious, like, you know, how, how do you stay grounded and how do you, what, what sort of what sort of recommendations or tips do you have for people to, you know, stay in touch with um, their spiritual spirituality and also like stay, um, you know, afloat in this quite challenging environment of like 24 seven cycles, um, you know, uh, dopamine, like firing off, off the charts all the time. Like what, what, how do you, how do you kind of keep things in line? Oh, Wow. So I have a daily practice of meditation. I practice transcendental meditation. I practice it since 2013. And I believe that that has completely changed my life for the better and has allowed me to um, handle any, uh, any issues that, that pop up in my life uh, with intention and with focus and finding the solutions inside. Uh, because I believe that we can all intuitively find the solutions that we need for any problem that arises within ourselves. And and what what that allows us to do with, with transit, transcendent meditation or any meditation practice really is to increase your intuition. Uh, the intuition is your compass in life. So if you really give your space, give yourself the space to think, uh, give give yourself, allow yourself the silence of moments of contemplation which have always, you know, helped the, the great leaders of our world even, you know, they always, t- they always talk about, I needed that, you know, I took time to think and the answer came, go for a walk, you know, do whatever you have to do, exercise, have a healthy physical exercise regimen and eat, of course, healthy uh, diet. I think that if you really take care of yourself, physically and also mentally through, um, you know, a, a mindfulness practice or meditation, that's going to really get you far. It, it, it's people, um, you know, pe- I don't think that people really realize how profoundly impactful these small uh, practice, daily practices are for the, the entire outcome of your, your choices and your life and how you live your life. So um, there is a wonderful book that I read recently, and I'm just going to look it up here. It was actually, I listened to it on Audible, and I, I have it here in my library. Um, I read uh, The Creative Act by Rick Rubin, Autobiography of a Yogi by Pramanansa Yogananda. Um, and uh, there's another wonderful book, The Surrender Experiment by Michael A. Singer. The Surrender Experiment, especially, was a wonderful book to read during the bear market because uh, Michael talks about how he went through an incredible crisis with his company and how he was able to surrender, uh, keeping a, a daily meditative practice, staying with his intuition and not forcing things, but allowing the universe to deliver the answers to you. Because sometimes things just don't work out and shit happens because the universe has a greater plan. But being open to that, have your antenna up and just be open and mindful and just calm in the moment, living in the moment. It, it's amazing how, you know, the, your life unfolds 
in the right way than the way it's meant to be in the best possible way. Um, so those are books that I recommend for anyone going through a hard time. And I, I know we all are. It's it's not an easy time. And I I went through my my uh, my share of you know the bear market blues and also um, uh, fraud. The you know fraudulent criminal activity stealing my my crypto and and all these things happened to me in 2022 but um you can't have a victim mentality you should never ever frame yourself as a victim you have to just move on pick up and and uh you know keep you know keep with the daily spiritual practice of med you know just just be open to the blessings in your life that that come into your life really wise words. And, you know, we could, we could do a whole hour just on this topic and maybe we should in the very <laughs> near future. I think the space could use okay. it, but, uh, but, but there's so much I want to still talk to you about Krista. I know you are also, um, a, a big supporter, uh, of the digital fashion space. You're a big proponent of it. I know you're a big believer in it. Um, tell me a little bit about what you're seeing there. I know it's an area that we're very inspired by too. We launched the now runway, uh, column and, and vertical, uh, on NFT now to be able to really um, uh, provide a go-to destination to keep up on what's happening because it's such a fast-moving space, right? Um, there's so much happening even in even in a quote-unquote bear market. So tell me about what you're seeing in the digital fashion space and why it inspires you. Oh, wow. I, I'm just really excited. Um, I remember when I did a, an interview on the Squawk Box um, in 2021 after Mars House and I spoke about how we're all going to be living in an augmented reality lifestyle where people will be wearing headsets or, or glasses, right? And we'll be able to see digital fashion on each other and accessories and the augmented spaces that we live in and outside we could see art every, installed everywhere. Like this reality is happening. It's, it's going to happen. Um, the hardware is catching up in, in its advancements in the, you know, the, the size of the technology that are, you know, implanted in the, in the glasses and all of this technology is advancing. It's only going to get better and better, especially with AI. Um, so I basically, I'm actually now a development board member for the Institute of Digital Fashion with uh, Leanne Elliott Young and uh, and her partner Kat. And we're I'm very very excited about you know collaborating with them, especially in their incredible group that they put together. Just uh, creating new advancements to to really help the ecosystem and evolve. And I think that wearables, I think that the hardware is one of the key pain points right now that we need to to try and you know help solve and you know create trend and create beautiful you know eyewear. Because I think I think basically that the future of uh, digital fashion uh, will and also Web three adoption will be through fashion. I actually think fashion is going to be the catalyst for everyone to want to put on those glasses to wear these cool outfits that they're wearing, these new sneakers that are interacting. You could see your friends wearing them as well and, and get together. I think young people are going to gather together and they're going to experience this AR, share AR creativity together as well. Stuff that they co-create, stuff that they, they want to sell. You know, I mean, it's, it's going to be really amazing. So the fashion shows of the future as well are going to be overlay sort of like, okay, I'm wearing my my um my glasses at the fashion show paris fashion week and i'll be able to see this digital overlay of incredible fashion on top of the models and, and that would be part of the digital physical play for fashion brands and i really hope that and i really pray that that's going to happen but fast fashion 
can all become digital. Like, I really think that there's no need for fast fashion. I think that people should buy high quality basics, right? And then have overlays of crazy stuff. And I think that that's going to be something that that people should get into. Because I think that younger generations are very, very sustainability minded, very conscious about how fast fashion is ruining the environment um, and, and creating a lot of chaos, actually. In so many countries, you have like mountains of clothes being shipped there and just lay, laying there to rot. And it's, it's, really, it's really a crisis point. So I, I believe that if we create these incredible, like engaging, beautiful uh, AR sort of solutions for, for this problem, I think it's going to be great. It's going to be cool. So that's, that's what I'm really excited about. I love that. I love that. Um, well, look, I think we've got uh, our rapid fire segment coming up, bullish or bearish. First one up, are you bullish or bearish on metaverse adoption? Bullish. And how do you think, like, what, what is that, that pace that you see? Like where, like, where do you think, like, that trajectory, what does that trajectory look like? The, the main friction point for, uh, for metaverse adoption is the AR interface. I think that, you know, because the Apple basically, uh, you know, announced the launch of their Vision Pro, right? Now, that's only going to get smaller and more sophisticated um, in its design, and it's going to become fashion. And uh, there are other, there are other pro- projects like Xreal, another company from, in China that creates, you know, has really improved the quality of their glasses and really improved the fidelity and the resolution of what you see through the AR lens. And I think you know, it's it's all going to be a question of whether the hardware is going to be advanced advanced uh, fast enough, and the production, like that whole scalability, is is what's going to determine metaverse mainstream adoption. Five to ten years, it's we're going to live in a different world in ten years for sure. So, um, get on the uh, stem cell game. You know, do life extension, Matt, because you got to live till two hundred. We got to see all these innovations play out. You know what I mean? Like, it's just not fair. Yeah. We have to like live a long we life. We gotta see it. And yeah, totally. <laughs> I'm way too, we're way too curious not to. <laughs> exactly. Um, that's my, that's my gameplay. I'm like into life extension. I want to see all this happen. I'm going to be like right front and center, but I'm just too excited to see it all happen. Um, so yeah, I think metaverse basically also is, is going to be integrated onto the blockchain. So you've got Lamina one. Lamina one is, um, uh, you know, um, Neil Stevenson's uh, company that he founded, uh, Rebecca Barkin is the new CEO. They actually uh, are a partner of ours uh, for Zero Studio. They actually invested in us. So I know that they're creating the uh, the layer one protocol for an open metaverse that's on the blockchain and will allow Unity and UN builds onto the blockchain. The number one challenge for creating hyper-real builds on, on Unity or, or Unreal in the metaverse was, of course, the, the cloud computing. And, and that whole, that was a major, that's a major challenge, but that is being mitigated. So within the next five years, we're going to see a huge advancement in um, the, the ability for high fidelity creation uh, to be hosted on a platform like Lamina One and you'll see incredible creations in entertainment and fashion and well-being, which is what we're focused on, education. I think that's that's the future. And spatial computing, Apple never 
never invest in a project without long-term viability. So I'm, I'm definitely um, betting with Apple on that. There it is. Uh, bullish or bearish AI art? Bullish. Uh, and I think that um, art is going to be art. Like, I don't, I don't think there's going to be AI art versus metaverse art for that. It's all going to just be art. And I think that not all AI art, not all art is, is uh, you know, um, not all AI art is art. You know, we really have to sort of distinguish. I think that um, I'm bullish. Um, I'm using AI. Everybody's using AI. Like, it's, it's going to be mainstream, dude. So, I mean, it's just, it's just taking, it's going to, be a major part of uh, a major tool in the artist's uh, uh, toolbox. Okay, final one for bullish or bearish. Are you bullish or bearish on creator royalties in Web3? Oh, I, I, I don't know. That's a really good question. I, I'm bullish, okay, because I actually think that platforms like Super Rare are really supporting that. I think that it should be done. And I, and actually to be, to be very, very frank with you, um, OpenSea and these other companies are greedy and they're not, they're not actually, um, standing by the creator, the creator's ecosystem that they were supposed to champion. They're really, it's, it's a betrayal. And I think that it's, yeah, it's greed. And I, I, I don't appreciate it. And if anything, if my art can just disappear off of OpenSea, happy. I don't, I don't care about OpenSea. I think they could disappear. I don't care. I, I'd rather just focus on those platforms that actually support artists and artist royalties and artist rights. Um, it should be that way. And we cannot go back to um, you know, the Spotify model. Like I, I don't think that the Web2 model is fair. And that's all going to be disrupted with blockchain. So right now you can't see that you know things are are getting better but in the background people are building and blockchain is a technology that's opened a pandora's box and it's going to change the way the world um creates and and the creator's economy is going to be the real future and i know that lamina one supports creators uh, um a creator's economy so let's just say that the creator's economy is the future that you have these fake web3 companies that are claiming uh to be web3 companies but they're not they're just you know the same web2 disguised disguised as web3 so bullish there it is all right krista as we move to a close what do you got coming up anything you didn't mention that you want to that you want to uh, make sure that our listeners uh have on their radar as we look towards the end of 2023 into 2024 in the world of krista kim Oh, wow. Um, you know, I'm just really, I just want to say, you know, I, I want to use this opportunity to thank uh, the community for the support. Thank you for your support. Um, I just really looking forward to, um, you know, my, my exhibitions coming up in Seoul here at Gateway and also at DDP. Um, I do have other projects that I can't really talk about um, in coming up, up until 2024. But um, you know, stay tuned on my socials, um, you know, please, uh, keep in touch and, um, um, I'm truly grateful and I uh, thank you very much for, for this, uh, for your time. It's always a pleasure, Krista. Once again, we are very excited to showcase your work at the Gateway Korea, uh, and look forward to everything that you have in the works as well. And, uh, until next time on the NFT Now podcast. 
Thank you so much, Matt. Thank you to NFT Now. Love you guys. See you soon. Always a pleasure speaking with Krista. I loved hearing her thoughts on the Korean market for Web3, digital sovereignty and identity, and how she stays grounded in what can be an incredibly challenging space to navigate. We're fortunate to have her kicking off this new era for us. Before we go, I want to recognize everyone who has been rocking with us since we launched the NFT Now podcast back in April 2021, as well as those who have found us along the way. We had no way of knowing what the future held in store for NFT Now, but we have always stayed true to our North Star, empowering the creators of culture and bringing this technology from niche to mainstream. Now, more than 100 episodes in and embarking on a new frontier of tokenizing this media, I just feel really grateful to be able to showcase so many amazing stories here and to be able to take this connection between us further than it could ever go in Web2. This may be our first tokenized podcast, but it will be far from our last. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening. And we can't wait to show you what's ahead for Now Pass holders and the Now Network. Until next time, see you on the blockchain. <laughs>